Ohio Habla es un podcast que nace del proyecto Narrativas Orales de Latinos en Ohio, Oral Narratives of Latinos en Ohio. Exploramos la experiencia latina con entrevistas en español, inglés y spanglish. Welcome to Ohio Habla. I'm Elena Fowles. My guest today is Professor Gisela Latorre. La Torre specializes in modern and contemporary U.S. Latinx and Latin American art with a special emphasis on Chicana Latina feminism. She's the author of Democracy on the Wall, Street Art of the Post-Dictatorship Era in Chile, published in 2019, and Walls of Empowerment, Chicana, Chicano, Indigenous Murals from California, published in 2008. In addition, she was co-curator and co-author of the exhibition and book Murales Rebeldes, L.A. Chicana, Chicano Murals Under Siege in 2017. She's currently working on an anthology on the Arts Collective Border Art Workshop, Taller de Arte Fronterizo. Welcome back to the podcast, Gisela. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm interested in starting our discussion today on the importance of public art in places like Chile. For example, and this is more of a, pro a protest song, but young women performed Un Violador en Tu Camino to speak out about violence against women just a few months ago. You're right. This performance, as much as other forms of art expression, especially when done in public spaces, are really pushing for change. Can you comment on this? Yes, absolutely. So... In uh, Chile, as well as in many other parts of Latin America, there is a really, really strong um, history of uh, protest and activism. And the public space, the public sphere is um, a place that is very powerful to enact these kinds of protests. Mm -hmm. um, and so the, you know, the performance that you are, you know, referring to is, um, is about you know the, the the issue of you know the uh, the gender issues uh, that ha that are you know a problem in Chile as elsewhere elsewhere in the world but it's also about the specific experiences of assault mm -hmm. and harassment mm -hmm. that you know women you know and other gender minority folks right mm -hmm. experience uh, in particular in public spaces mm -hmm. where uh, they are in these spaces where, you know, harassment is sort of normalized, mm. you know, it's supposed to be kind of like, like harmless flirtation. Mm. And so, so Un Violador en el Camino is about really highlighting how these spaces for women are, you know, are really, um, are really fraught, you mm -hmm. know, they're very much unsafe spaces, while at the same time, you have to move through them, you know. Mm -hmm. And so to kind of raise that awareness in a pub in the very space mm -hmm. where this happens is, you know, particularly effective. Um, and to also also the idea of women taking over reclaiming that right. space, right, mm -hmm. it's also very powerful, because a lot of times we think of public spaces are spaces where women are not supposed to be mm -hmm you know, make themselves visible because mm -hmm. it's not appropriate for a young woman to be like a callejera, you know, mm -hmm. like a street, like a street woman mm -hmm. who has all these connotations mm -hmm. of like, you know, 
you know, um, lack of morality mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. you know, and inappropriate, you know, sexual behavior. Mm-hmm. And, and so there's this whole contradiction, right, that, you know, women are supposed to not be you know, public and sexual, but at the same time, it's okay for them to be targets mm. of the right. of that kind of um, you know uh, of the uh, of that kind of um, treatment. Mm-hmm. And so, so yeah, so it you know, I don't think that that particular song would have been effective if it would not have been you know in a public space, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of a of a kind of activist strategy. Um, but I also want to um, kind of underscore that there really is and particularly in Chile, but in other parts of the world, I think, as well, that there is a kind of a continuity or a connection between a lot of the street art that is happening Mm -hmm. uh, and the traditions of public public protest. Mm -hmm. Because I think that a lot of street art, in particular some of the ones that I, um, uh, you know, that I um, feature in the book, Mm -hmm. are about making interventions into the public sphere, right? And this idea that a lot of times... The way in which streets are designed and fashioned mm-hmm. a lot of times are to maintain certain hierarchies of power, right? Mm-hmm. And so, for example, like the idea of putting poor people living all in one area, mm-hmm. you know, and then the rich people have their own area, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that that is a strategy of power, right? To, um, and so this idea that if you can if you come in and you make make disruptions of that, um, or if you let's say do a public protest. In front of the courthouse, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, demanding gender equality changes in policy mm-hmm. uh, protections, you know, yeah. for you know, you know, for um, uh, against harassment, mm-hmm. you know, which, you know, in, in Chile, they're really it's it's very inadequate in terms of like you know what kind of protections the women have, right. you know, against these kinds of assaults. But I I do like that um, in that song or in that um, sort of demonstration, it's not just holding like public officials accountable for for changing mm-hmm. the rules, but really trying to push for. Uh, a cultural change, right? Because right. this has been the norm or this is like you should, I mean, women right. are even uh, told that you should be flatter, you know, that exactly. you get this attention yeah, and yeah. it's because it's, it's bonita or something exactly. like that, right? Exactly. And it, but, but it's so much, um, first of all, it's, it's unwanted, right? Absolutely, um, yeah. And secondly, um, is uh, objectification of women, right? Absolutely, um, yeah. And so the, so I think it's, um, is just a wonderful way to not just um, bring attention to mm-hmm. the realities mm-hmm. of um, mm-hmm. uh, maybe rape um, that's Absolutely. happening, but yeah. also that we all have a part on this, that we all need yeah. to be changing yeah. our behaviors and the way that we look at and the way we, we speak about these things exactly. to, to, yeah. uh, to women. Right, right, yeah. No, I think you make an excellent point, which is the uh, the the point of paying attention to culture, not just policies, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and how um, that goes beyond just like, okay, let's put this, you know, this new law in place, or let's, um, you know, let's kind of like, you know, make this, put this in writing. That a lot of times it's about changing that larger cultural, mm-hmm. um, you know, framework mm-hmm. that 
at the same time can in- influence policy. And so, um, so yeah. But also, I think that the you know when we talk about culture and the, let's say the culture of rape, you know, we mm-hmm. talk about rape culture, the culture of objectification. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you know, we are asking like a like a, you know a, a big shift in understandings about gender, about women's roles, and I, and a lot of time it is not just about whatever men are doing or saying, but it's also about like how we are all accountable, that we can all right. participate. That You know, a lot of the, for example, the things that I was told when I was growing up, very sexist things and very traditional notions about gender came from women in my family, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. or from, you know, women teachers that I had in school. I went to a Catholic school and, mm-hmm. you know, I heard things like, you know, what do you expect, you know? You know, if you're going to wear like a, like a micro mini skirt, you, you can expect, you know, that's you're asking for it, right? Mm-hmm. And that was told by teachers, women, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And so and so culture, like the culture of rape, the culture of misogyny, you know, we're all responsible for it, mm-hmm. you know? And so that's what makes it more complicated, but also more effective to talk about mm-hmm. um, as something that is more pervasive and that it, it's part of our ideologies and our worldviews, and we have to like look at those very thoughtfully, right? Yeah. And um, and I also like that it was done by. I mean, this is um, high school young women. I think high school mm-hmm. age, and right. and that they're you know they're voicing those concerns. They're seeing they're fed up. Yeah, <laughs> we're all fed yeah. up, right? Absolutely, and they're taking that space to 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 discuss or to yeah. to name the yeah. things that they that they see that they experience mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and hopefully you know push for that change absolutely um Gisela, in in the article chicana and chicano artivism mm-hmm. uh Judy Bacas, Digital Work with Youth of Color. Right. You and Chela Sandoval say that, and I'm quoting here, Chicana, Chicano, artivism, like La Conciencia de la Mestiza, referencing here um, Gloria Saldúa, right, right. expresses a consciousness aware of conflicting and meshing identities mm-hmm. and uses these to create new angles of vision to challenge oppressive modes, modes of thinking. Yeah. Although this article focuses mostly on digital work, you say that through this venue, youth can engage in political activism mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. build egalitarian alliances, which makes me think again of the young women performing Un Violador en Tu Camino. Mm-hmm. What's the role of social media in all of this? And, and I say this because um, the, uh, there's videos the video of the of the women doing this went viral. It's right. all over, like yeah, all, all over the world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, they were performing yeah. the song in India right. know, as well. Yeah, right. so I just wanted to sort of keep that conversation going, and in, in, in terms of sort of the digital work, but also social media. How does that um, allow us maybe to even reach a wider audience um, and connect with maybe other cultures or other countries that where women are facing similar? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, issues. Yeah, yeah. Well, definitely social media, the emergence of digital cultures has been just so transformative when it comes to um, uh, activism, when it comes to social movements. Um, we are no longer just thinking of social movements as rooted in a particular geographic locale, <laughs> you know, now the space of the internet becomes a space in and of itself for, you know, for activism. Mm-hmm. And so I think that the, the, just if we think just very broadly at a global level, the history of uh, social movements n- needs to uh, 
if we're going to write that history, we need to address how it happens in the space of social media. There's mm-hmm. just no question about it, mm-hmm. you know. And so, um, and so, yes, absolutely. Social media has become, you know, such an important place where you have the dissemination of knowledge, the ways in which you can um, also use that space to expose. Um, realities that a lot of times the more sort of mainstream media mm-hmm. kind of, uh, um, you know, platforms. Hides, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, and so that, you know, that, so the, you know, the, the, the fact that, you know, the, these are such open, you know, uh, platforms. Mm-hmm. And so definitely the dissemination, the ways in which to create coalitions um, is, you know, very important here. Um the you know social media also has a platform for creative expression you know that has maybe an activist bent to it mm-hmm. it's also like super powerful you know and the ways in which artists who may not have the chance to expose in like museum or, or mm-hmm. exhibit their work in in museums mm-hmm. now they they're able to do it right that you know and have maybe even a wider you know mm-hmm. um uh, platform um, having said this, I think that it's also important to uh, not necessarily like overly glorify, you know, these spaces of social media, because social media and the Internet and the, you know, digital spaces, cyberspaces, whatever you want to call mm-hmm. them, they're also spaces of a lot of oppression, you mm-hmm. know, you know, where there is a lot of, you know, kind of like, discursive violence happening and uh, with internet trolls and you know and and, and uh, with um, and with people using the the anonymity of social mm-hmm. media right. to you know to really really you know create you know uh, very disturbing kinds mm-hmm. of interactions with others uh, I mean you know we can talk a lot a lot about that um and i think that so for that reason um i think it's really important to to think about you know to kind of balance the you know the potential mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh with the problems right mm-hmm. um and i mean also you can think about like the whole controversy with uh mark zuckerberg and facebook and the ways in which he you know, uh, Facebook became a place where people were given disinformation and it potentially affected an election. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so social media is in, in the digital sphere is, is very much this contested space mm-hmm. where you can, you know, where you have all these possibilities, mm-hmm. but at the same time you have to also sort of balance them with the, you know, with how, you know, these platforms can also be very, very difficult spaces. Right. You know, I just we just had um, last semester in the fall. We had this um, um, artist from Chile that came. Right. In. He's he's a young Sebastian. He's a young artist, and he mentioned that um, one of the the first performance he's a performer, and one of the first performances that he he did, um, he shared it. You know, via video YouTube or yeah. his channel yeah. and it was it is still the thing that he's recognized for right yeah. and so and so I think of of the power of um, maybe young artists like you said right. that don't always have access to yeah. maybe a f- a formal space um, right, to exhibit right. their work or to perform yeah, their yeah. work um, to use this other platform Absolutely, um, yeah. to continue to 
engage and have this mm-hmm. conversation and have a wider audience and maybe make themselves known. I don't know how that works in terms of like supporting their work. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah. I do think that it has a powerful impact and absolutely in our society. Yeah. And maybe this is and maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Is, is this specifically beneficial or a medium or a way of expression that youth of color um, tend to go to? Is mm-hmm, that, um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you if you can talk a little bit about that. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, absolutely. That, that, you know, there is this, you know, um, uh, uh, or rather that social media becomes a place where, you know, where young people of color, you know, can express themselves in ways that maybe they don't feel they can do it in mm-hmm. the space of, for example, public schools or even in the space mm-hmm. of family. And mm-hmm. uh, and I think for Sebastian, and I think, and I'm thinking maybe making connections to youth of color in the U.S. as well, um, that I think that for young people who have very sort of complex kinds of intersectional identities mm-hmm. that are not that are in many ways erased mm-hmm. in like more normative spaces like schools like mm-hmm. the the space of the traditional family that social media becomes a space where those intersectional identities can be um fully kind of like articulated or expressed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so you talked about the example of, of, of the artist Sebastian Calfuqueoliste Caful, who's you know who is an artist you know, who is, um, you know, queer person Mm -hmm. and who is somebody of Mapuche Mm -hmm. background, which Mm -hmm. are the indigenous people of Chile. And so so he has this sort of intersection of identities that are very complex Mm -hmm. and that are, you know, that they kind of bounce off one another, another in many ways. But I think for him, you know, finding a voice in the, in the Chilean social system where, you know, there is these perceptions about, you know, gay people, mm-hmm. queer people. There are these other perceptions about indigenous, indigenous people, yeah. right? And then there's other perceptions about artists. And and so, um, and I don't think that, especially as he, st- he started out, I don't think that there was a space within those mm-hmm. structures where he could have been the artist that he is, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Um, uh, so definitely social media was this place that was not necessarily controlled by, you know, by these kind of like arbiters of good taste or, you know, <laughs> or the, the gatekeepers. Right, right. right. And so and it's interesting because I think Sebastian, I think his presence in social media becomes, you know, the the entry point mm-hmm. that now this more institutional spaces are like seeing that and they're like opening space for him. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and definitely, you know, my, you know, because I participated in the group that, you know, that invited him to campus and, you know, I made the initial contact and, and my initial familiarity with Mm -hmm. Sebastian Calfuqueoliste was in social media, in his media presence. And I'm like, oh, my God, who's this person? Not in books, not in art history books, not in, you know, histories of Chilean art or queer art or anything. Mm -hmm. It was in, you know, and uh, and so, yeah, so this is somebody who was very thoughtful in the way that he curates Mm -hmm. his social media presence, his, you know, online presence. Um, 
that, uh, but at the same time, he couldn't have done it otherwise. I don't think so. Right. You know? And one of the things that he said that um, it just talked to, uh, as you were talking about it, um, how maybe places that are more formal, right, are, yeah. are taking notice and inviting him to be part of, right. you know, their exhibit or things like that. He also mentioned during his visit that he still um, wants to have his art to be open and free yeah. and not confined Absolutely. to those spaces. Yeah. So yeah. he, I think that's part also of his generation, right? This idea yeah. of yeah. art is public and yeah. everybody should have access to it. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not going to just have my work sitting in a building yeah, for yeah. whenever people come to right, see it. Mm-hmm. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, I, and I, I th- absolutely. And I would add that more specific to his generation, I think it's his generation of socially conscious artists. Mm-hmm. Because I think that there's still a younger generation out there that wants to, you know, that sees galleries and museums as the ultimate acceptance Mm -hmm. and that sees you know and that kind of gate keeps their work to be sold and you know Mm -hmm. and commodified and all those things so you know so I don't think it's all of the younger generation I think it's particular ones but yeah in this idea that you know that the the idea of having uh, making art accessible Mm -hmm. and it's an idea that I think I you know in my work on muralism I really highlight because, mm-hmm. yeah, even before, you know, um, these technologies became as widely available or as available as, as they are, um, even though not everybody has it. So I want to, like, temper that, you know, <laughs> a comment by saying that we also have to remember that not everybody has a smartphone mm-hmm. or, in, or high-speed yeah. internet. Right. So I'll put that out there. But even before these technologies emerged, you know, I think that that was the spirit of street art and muralism and graffiti was to create an art that, you know, that people just walking down the street trying to catch the bus or going Mm -hmm. to work could see it. Right. And, you know, and did not have to go to museums, you know, or the idea that there's an artwork in your neighborhood, you Mm -hmm. know, Mm -hmm. and that's just really powerful. So I think that there's a connection between these street artists that are doing things in public and the activists that are also doing things in public and then this public sphere that is social media Mm -hmm. that is also democratizing and that is more widely accessible and I think that Sebastian is uh, I align him with that, gen- that not just that generation, but that sort of group of socially conscious artists mm-hmm. that are not wanting to, you know, keep their work to just a limited audience. Right, right. In your most recent book, Democracy on the Wall, Street Art of the Post-Dictatorship Era in Chile, you look at the decolonization of urban spaces via mm. street art and graffiti. Right, right. How is this kind of art breaking boundaries and pushing for decolonial spaces for art expression. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the ways in which I see it, and I'm now specifically talking about, you know, the case of Chile mm-hmm. and the the explosion of street art that's been happening, you know, I think since the early 1990s, um, is that um, what we see with this uh, this movement mm-hmm. is that there is this very concerted uh, effort to change um, w- change the image of the public space. Mm-hmm. And so Chile, like many Latin American countries are you know it's it's it, it's colonized territory. Mm-hmm. It's territory that was you know sort of violently taken 
from indigenous inhabitants. Um, and that, that colonization has continued, right? So mm-hmm. I, in the book, I talk about how, for example, like national and multinational companies will like, you know, um, build dams in what is ancestral Mapuche territory. They will build highways, you know, completely disrespecting, you know, um, mm-hmm. the the spaces, uh, the already limited spaces for indigenous people. Right. And so I think what the, the murals do is that they deny this kind of coloniality of the space. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, um, we see you know, uh, an emergence of indigenous figure, figures mm. that are monumental. Like if you look at the work of Inti, who is a very well-known graffiti artist in Chile, you know, he draws from Andean cultures. He, uh, you know, creates images that make um, sort of indigenous people central to our national identity and disrupt this coloniality of spaces because I think that the traditional view of public art in Chile is that you put on a Greco-Roman sculpture mm-hmm. or you right. Right? right or you put one of the heroes of independence that are actually right. like if you look at their history they have this very disturbing relationship with you know military attacks against indigenous people but they are put like heroes right, right? And, and a lot of uh, white male right, uh, figures rather than yeah. and so I, I, I'm imagine I haven't seen the yeah. the murals that you're speaking about but yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm imagining it uh, imagining more people of color being yeah. you know represented right right yeah and that that you know and so too and that's a disruption of like this colonial right. space which is the city you know mm-hmm. and so that's I think one of the ways in which I see it happening um, I talk a little bit also about you know collaboration you know and um, in one of the chapters of the book, I talk about the emergence of muralist brigades um, and that part of the praxis of those brigades is to do murals in collaboration with local communities. And Mm -hmm. so communities Mm -hmm. are basically kind of like invited, Mm -hmm. uh, recruited into, uh, you know, working with other artists and creating murals. And Mm -hmm. this idea of collectivity um, and, and just having that presence on the street, you know, while they're working right. on, on a piece. Right. Um, and that experience, that almost like performative collaboration that is happening, is also part of the work of art, you know? Mm-hmm. It's not just the finished mural. Um, right. And so those, and for me, that's also a decolonial move, you know, mm-hmm. to actually not think of public art as something that is created with an indiv- by an individual artist who has a series of paid assistants to help them, you know, mm-hmm. but that, that, that the, the pieces, the murals are like the production of a community. A community, yeah. Rather than, you know, just like an individual individual artistic genius. You know? Right, and I imagine that this community, right, that's participating, they, after the product is finished, they walk by it and exactly. they can be proud, like this is, we built this, we exactly. made this. Yeah. You know what you just said about the, um, you know, this images of like Greco-Roman, you know, yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, uh, paintings mm-hmm. and murals. I, I've always love murals. That's mm-hmm. A, mm-hmm. one of my favorite things. When, when I go to different cities and I see that, I, I stop to look at it and, yeah. and enjoy it. But I remember in my middle school, mm. uh, and it's and it just you know it just brought memories of that that um, they had murals. They had a mural, this particular mural, and it was about the heroes, right, of the uh, Mexican Revolution mm. and independence and things mm-hmm. like that. 
And what you see is you see different sizes of people, of heroes, right? Mm. Um, but the biggest ones were white people, yeah. right? And yeah. the and the ones at the bottom were the indigenous people, right? right. Even though you know, <laughs> and somehow they were they had an active role in, yeah. in all of this, yeah. um, but they were significantly smaller. Right, um, right. They occupied the bottom of mm. the pi- the mm-hmm. painting, the mm-hmm. picture, while you had sort of like machinery or, um, you know, things of progress um, or white men um, right. as the uh, occupying the bigger space and yeah. the, the bigger size of the mural. Right. And, you know, and it just reminded me that what you're saying, it remind, and we get so used to that, right? Right. And that right. becomes normalized. I mean, we saw this as middle schoolers. Yeah. We see this every day. So right. we, you know, this is the norm, right? Right. Um, right. And to hear that... Um, What's happening in Chile, and I'm 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 sure it's happening also in other parts oh, of yeah, Latin America, absolutely. that they're redefining um, what that is and reclaiming mm-hmm. spaces mm-hmm. Uh, for that represent the community, that represent the history of the indigenous people mm-hmm. or the groups that have been, um, you know, ignored for so right, many years. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No. I. I mean. I think. You, well, you pointed out like many. Important things in you know in your comments, I think one of them is also the role that you know education plays in the further colonizing you know and the ways in which you know that we are so kind of like conditioned to right. to normalize these things to see them as natural to not question them. So there is that you know and that's also something for us to kind of critically engage. And it's also interesting that a lot of the activism that is happening in Chile, but in other parts of the world is about education mm. and about rethinking education. And so that's that in itself is like a big deal. Um, but also the, the idea that what you were talking about, that specific mural of, you know, where the indigenous people were put at a smaller scale. Mm-hmm. I mean, definitely that's hierarchy, right? right? That's telling school children, you know, these are the people that are more important and these are the people that are there that uh, should be in subservient roles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so um, and it also plays into some colonial discourses about indigenous people as ch- as perpetual children. Right. Uh, and that's like, you know, during the colonization of the Americas, you know, one of the, you know, and as you know, the, 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 the Catholic Church played a big role in colonization by, you know, forcing indigenous people to convert to Christianity. Mm-hmm. And uh, but also one of the arguments that comes out is like, oh, you know, they're like children. And so you need to, like, guide them. You need right. to, like. You know, um, you know, and protect they ne- them. protect mm-hmm. them, but at the same time, you know, because they're like children, they can't do anything important. You know, yeah. so mm-hmm. you know the best thing that they can do, and they're happy doing it, right? Mm-hmm. Is to serve us, mm-hmm. you know, and so and that ideology continues, you mm-hmm. know, and and I think also as you were talking about that, it also gives me an idea of how culture and images are so important. They're not just. I mean, they're constructs, they're, right. they're fictions, but they're fictions that affect your life in very mm-hmm. real ways. And so, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I always say that. I repeat myself all the time around that. But, I mean, I can't, like... <laughs> well, I, you're consuming this, right? You're, you're consuming it and making it 
normalize, you know, because yeah. I just remember as a, you know, the image just came to me as a, as a middle schooler yeah. walking through that hallway and always looking at it because I always like to look at it. Yeah, be aware um, of your environment. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, in the messages that I didn't know I was receiving mm-hmm. then, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. of what um, um, hierarchy, so who's important, who's who's more important, right. who's not, right. and things like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And it's also images that are meant to tell you what your place is in society. Right, because know? I don't remember many women either. <laughs> right, right. So what does that tell you? Like, oh, that, that tells me that I should, like, you know, uh, defer to men, mm-hmm. you know, that they have all the ideas and all the, you know, they're the ones who are going to, like, determine the future. And, you know, and so and so think about, like, also, like, what it does in you, you know, mm-hmm. or, or what effect it has in you to, mm-hmm. to see images where either you don't see yourself or, B, you see yourself in this very kind of, you know, not only secondary, but, you know, sort of like subordinated role. Mm-hmm. Um, and so so that's really, you know, um, um, you know, really powerful in, in this case, negative ways. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's also I think it's also like a, a reminder that, you know, um, like in in a lot of my work, I talk about how you know, transformative and how empowering murals are. But it's also a, like a humbling reminder that murals have participated in, mm-hmm. you know, and also in promoting right. ideas about, you know, you know, hierarchy and, you know, ra- negative ideas about race and racism. And mm-hmm. so, you know, so it's good to be in the same way that with social media, it's good to be to be very specific sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Tell me about uh, gender disruptions and the role of grafiteras. I'm very mm, interested about this, mm, uh, yeah. the grafiteras, because also when we think of graf- uh, graffiti artists, the first thing, I mean, maybe I'm guilty of this, but the first thing that comes to mind are men. No, absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, that's and, and that I mean, and that comes from the fact that there are more men doing graffiti, at least in Chile. Um, and I think that, you know, and that has a lot of, you know, you know, a lot of uh, reasons for that. But gra- graffiti really emerges as this male-dominated field mm-hmm. if you th- uh, or practice, you know, where it's primarily the men who are going out there mm-hmm. and being kind of, you know, audacious mm-hmm. and, you know, and daring mm-hmm. and, and seeking out the thrill and the adrenaline rush of danger. So it almost, like sometimes the in my research when I talk with male graffiti artists, um, it was there was a lot about that about like oh you know you're gonna go there and the police are after you and you know <laughs> and uh, and so it's almost like this kind of like you know jockish you know like like sport almost mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. so um, and so um, so for me what was really really interesting is that when I started doing my my research for democracy on the wall I mean the first people that I had access to were the men. You know, mm-hmm. and I'm like, okay, this can't just be all about dudes. You know, I mean, it's <laughs> like this gotta be. And so I kept asking, and they were like, maybe, like they were really vague about, mm-hmm. you know, like who, you know, uh, like where I could talk to women. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's a few there, but I don't think they're doing anything right now, or like they stopped doing. Like there, mm-hmm. there was a lot of that. Mm-hmm. And then one actually said, oh, they're just doing these little cutesy things. <laughs> you know, they're just painting flowers. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it's worth your time. Anyway, so. So, but in in fairness, though, I did encounter one of the one artist um, who I also feature a lot in the book. He's a male artist, and he's more like a like a sort of like a veteran of street art. His name is Mono Gonzalez, and he actually found a whole bunch of like 
uh, names of women with their emails. And mm-hmm. I just went crazy and I emailed all of them, you know. <laughs> and uh, and then when I came to Chile for one of my research trips, um, I got to meet a whole bunch of them and mm. talk to them. And it was amazing. And I think what the the theme that for me emerged was this theme of disruption, this theme that these are women that are disrupting the maleness of graffiti Mm. uh, as a practice. Mm -hmm. These are women, not unlike the women uh, who, you know, who did this protest song about, uh, you know, Un Violador en el Camino, but it's also women who were um, daring to be in the public, Mm -hmm. doing something that is associated with men. Right. Um, and and so for me that was like a really powerful theme, mm-hmm. and so I do have a chapter that is dedicated to them, to mm-hmm. to what they do, and for me it was it was incredible to learn how graffiti can become uh, such an important feminist tool in many ways, mm-hmm. uh, and um, and I started asking them about like their work and their aesthetic and you know what kind of images, and that's something that kind of threw me a little bit was like that she, they were doing a lot of images that had a very different look than the men. The men were doing the wild style lettering and mm-hmm. the you know kind of like the you know the the tough looking stuff you know and. Uh, <laughs> And the women actually weren't. Some of them were doing flowers. And they were doing like little dolls. Uh-huh. And I was just like, what? You know, a part of me was like, wait a minute. You guys are not being good feminists. But, <laughs> but you know, but that was like a very, you know, like I wasn't understanding mm. really what they were doing. Mm-hmm. And what they were really trying to do is to to challenge this perception that graffiti should be mm-hmm. like, you know, this hard-hitting macho mm-hmm. kind of thing. And they were kind of like, almost strategically wanting their work to, like, they wanted people to walk by and say that was done by a woman. Right, like to stand out. To mm-hmm. stand out, mm-hmm. but also to kind of reach out to, like, older people, to children. They wanted children to love graffiti, you know? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. that, for me, was like, I started thinking, okay, this is more like the ethics of care. This mm-hmm. idea that the city is such a rough and such a kind of, like, you know, um, uh, sort of uh, almost um, uh, potentially violent place, mm. and to go and, and and paint images that are more about caring. And so the idea of beautifying, the idea of mm. making the city, you know, less hostile, mm. was so critical to them. And then I began to understand that that was in itself a feminist you know, stance, right. you know, mm-hmm. and and that these women were very, you know, like sort of political and, were, you know, were very strong feminists, too. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so so for me, that was that was that was really incredible. And there was another element that I encountered that I I never thought, you know, that was possible, that a number of the women that I um, that I interviewed were also like public school teachers. Hmm. And and that for them, you know, their passion for pedagogy and teaching extended to graffiti, mm-hmm. you know. And so for them, graffiti was a pedagogical tool through which they can teach different things to communities. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and so part of the book, I, I, I wrote a kind of a separate article because I became very good friends with one other graffiti artist. Her, her street name is Gigi and her full name is Marjorie Peña Elillo. And... And she was somebody who really thought of graffiti as pedagogy. Mm. And we wrote a, we, we, we um, collaborated on an article where we talk about the pedagogical and like feminist pedagogical potential of graffiti. Mm. And, and, 
and and that did not come from my conversations with the men. It came from the conversations with the women. And mm-hmm. so for me, uh, my my perception of graffiti was radically transformed by how mm-hmm. they approached the practice. Mm-hmm. It was really, really it, Yeah, exciting. it's funny because you, you're saying it's not, they're not necessarily doing it for the thrill of like breaking the law or whatever, whatever that is. I didn't see is. that in the ones that I spoke with. They were just more about the, yeah, about like, you know, how can we connect with community? How can we, you know, create, make the city less hostile, mm-hmm. you know? And I think as women, you know, and we talked about this, um, but, you know, that, the, you know, because of the threat of assault, the threat mm-hmm. of rape, the right. threat of harassment, mm-hmm. that a lot of times you, you have to go into the street like protecting yourself, like in this putting on right. armor, mm-hmm. walking really fast, mm-hmm. you know. And mm-hmm. and so women experience the city in a very different way, Absolutely. you know. And so mm-hmm. this idea of like changing that mm-hmm. is, you know, it's, you know, it's really very, very significant and meaningful, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Gisela, is, are there any particular artists that um, – that do this, maybe not do it well is the is the right way to ask, but that are particularly um, effective and mm. and 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 making us think about um, maybe different ways of looking at street art as a mm-hmm. decolonial space. Mm-hmm. Um, can you describe maybe one or two artists that sure. are doing this well, and what what yeah. can we see in the in the art that they're producing? Right, right, yeah, yeah. Um, well, um, one artist that comes to mind is another woman, uh, another grafitera, another mm-hmm. woman graffiti artist uh, from Chile. Her name is Alterna. Mm-hmm. And uh, what she does, uh, and other artists do as well, but what she does is that she um, does pieces, graffiti pieces, in very strategic places, you know. And so she, for example... Um, uh, she's very much an animal rights activist. Mm-hmm. And so she um, has done, like, for example, pieces about the mistreatment of, um, uh, of um, like, stray animals mm-hmm. in Santiago, which is, like, it's, 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 it's really bad, mm-hmm. really bad in the city mm-hmm. of Santiago where you see both dogs and cats, uh, you know, um, mistreated you know mm-hmm. uh, there, there there is a huge problem it's and it's so inhumane and it's mm-hmm. so horrible mm-hmm. and but in chile it has become normalized that those those animals have no value and you can mistreat them you can kill them you can do you whatever. know whatever mm-hmm. you want mm-hmm. um uh and so alterna did a piece called adopta un gato adopt a cat mm-hmm. and it's a very like simple piece you know it's you know um, it's just a little girl again, that cutesy aesthetic. You know, mm-hmm. it's a it's a little girl who's holding a cat, and it has the words "adopt a gato," adopt a cat. And but the placement was really interesting for me because it's placed in this kind of like abandoned area, and it's a place where a lot of stray, mm-hmm. you know, animals try to seek refuge, you know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. um, and so for me that was really, you know, like that that was like a disruption because you go. I mean, you go through the streets in Santiago and you see, you know, you know, stray animals in really, really like bad, you know, you know, states of health, you mm-hmm. know, suffering, dying, and you're just socializing to keep keep walking, keep walking. ignore mm-hmm. them, you mm-hmm. know, and uh, um, they don't matter. They're mm-hmm. just kind of like the the garbage that you might see on the street, mm-hmm. and so. And so I think that that piece is like, well, like you step back, right? And you, you're you no longer 
doing business as usual, mm-hmm. you know, on the street. And so that for me is, you know, and it's not overtly decolonial necessarily in mm-hmm. the sense that it doesn't, you know, uh, the piece doesn't necessarily talk about, you know, the history of colonialism. But for me, those kinds of attentions, you know, mm-hmm. the ways in which we are interconnected beyond just human beings, mm-hmm. you know, I think for me that's a decolonial move, in my opinion, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of other artists. I mean, there's just, uh, you know, so many of them. But um, um, I think... Mm-mm. I think the work of Inti does that a lot because of the ways in which he, um, you know, uh, uh, makes indigenous people so central to his aesthetic and uh, and to his work. Um, and um, and he's somebody who also does work abroad. He's, he's got this kind of international global fame as an artist. And, um, and he does those kinds of decolonial disruptions in other parts of the world. Mm. You know, like he's painted in France. Uh, in the book, I talk about a mural that he did in uh, in Spain, mm-hmm. where he creates this really radical image of, of Quixote, Don Quixote, and uh, and everybody. In Sp- I mean, the people in that area were like just really outraged that he would like mess with a figure like that, right. you know. Con el padre de la... Exactly, exactly. So canonical, right. you know. Even though Quixote is actually a radical text, but it's become, you know, canonical, I think, right. you know. Um, and so uh, so he's somebody that I can, you know, sort of think of as, uh, you know, as doing that. Um, again, this artist Gigi, the grafitera, does that by, you know, putting, you know, images of like indigenous goddesses, like in unexpected places, mm-hmm. you know, uh, she's very much influenced by Andean traditions, arts and cultures. Mm-hmm. And uh, she has this recurring figure called Luisa which is like this earth goddess and she's kind of like gordita, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, and you never know where you're going to see Luisa when you're walking through like the area of Valparaiso where she lives. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. um, so really, really, you know, I mean, those artists are like doing like really interesting work. Is this, um, is there any sort of police harassment with, uh, with that, with grafiteras or graffiti artists in general? Like, uh, yeah. how are they, because uh, you have the street art, right? That could right. be sort of uh, commission, right? Uh, yeah. That, that you are going to paint this mural here on the street and this mm-hmm, wall or mm-hmm, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then you have this other, you yeah. know, marginal <laughs> right. type of um, work. Um, right, right. In terms of like, illegal or something right like right, right like that right um so how how are how do they navigate that and yeah. and i i don't know uh, since it's becoming so common and so popular i i feel like maybe they're not even paying that much attention to right right yeah yeah no that yeah that's a really good question yeah and so yes um so technically in chile and that's different from the us um but in chile graffiti is technically illegal mm-hmm. however you know it's it's those kinds of things that like nobody really cares you mm-hmm. know like it's not a priority at least it hasn't been for a number of years in chile for law enforcement to go after graffiti mm-hmm. artists whether they're doing it legally or, or commission with permissions or whatever you know mm-hmm. and so um uh, and so, uh, you know, for most artists, you know, that, you know, like police harassment wasn't necessarily an issue. I mean, I think it was where it was an issue was in times of the dictatorship, you mm-hmm. know, where mm-hmm. there was a lot of clamping down on anything that went in the public space. Right. And, you know, you could even be killed. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was. But I think with, the, you know, since the 1990s, uh, that hasn't been the case. And there has been a 
a shift toward like, you know, well, you know, there's other things that we're going to pay attention to. And so that has benefited street art in Mm -hmm. Chile because then you see this explosion that Mm -hmm. is, you know, you kind of see it everywhere. And since last October, where there was this this incredible uprising of like protest and dissent in Chile, mm-hmm. um, you know, you've probably been some of you might be hearing it in the news um, that there's even more. And I haven't seen, I haven't been to Chile since since mm-hmm. the the social ex, social you know activist explosion that's happened there. Um, but um, some in terms of my research and what I encountered, I asked. Uh, in particular, the women, you know, and I think what they told me was more along the lines of like, you know, um, more like, I don't know, low grade <laughs> harassment, if you will, mm-hmm. in the sense that, you know, you know, they had police officers come to them and say, like, uh, what are you ladies doing here? You know, the, and, you know, saying, you know, this is illegal. And um, one, there was this uh, uh, graffiti um, crew of uh, two women mm-hmm. called uh, the Abusa crew. And so one of the things that they did is that they would actually like pretend to be like, 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 oh, silly women, you know, kind of thing. And they would be like, oh, really? You mean this? Oh, my God, we didn't know that. I'm so, we're so sorry. Oh, we just didn't know. Um, you know, but is it okay that we finish up? I mean, this is the only time we'll do it. You know, it's sort of like kind of playing into this right. gendered expectations. Mm-hmm. And then all this kind of like um, one of the other things that they experience is police officers, not necessarily telling them that they shouldn't be do- that, uh, that they have to stop, but telling them like things like, now, how old are you? You know, do you think that you're, you know, that you're a little too old to be doing this kind of ch- so that this really patronizing, right? right you know, right. and so 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 there is this idea of like you know police officers in Chile, carabineros, mm-hmm. like coming in and basically like you know schooling them mm-hmm. and you for know, being women and for uh, being of a certain age, maybe exactly, exactly, <laughs> like mm-hmm. I know better and right. that sort of thing, right. and so. Um, so yeah, yeah. But I mean, now what's happening with the social protests is that there's been, you know, human rights abuses, there's been women that have been sexually assaulted mm-hmm. at the hands mm-hmm. of law enforcement. So now, I mean, there's been this shift now that is that mm-hmm. is really, that we're only now trying to like, kind of wrap our, our hands, our heads around the, mm-hmm. the implications of what is happening now in Chile. Right, right. Um, Gisela, talk to us about the project on mm. the Arts Collective um, Border Art Workshop, yeah. Taller de Arte Fronterizo. Right, right, mm-hmm. sure. So so um, this is something that I'm working with and I'm collaborating with a group of artists, um, uh, a lot of them from the San Diego, Tijuana region, not mm-hmm. all of them, but a lot of them. Um, and so... In the uh, uh, mid 1980s, this group came. This sort of binational group came together in the Tijuana San Diego region, mm-hmm. um, in along, you know, in the U.S. Mexico border, that they call themselves the Border Art Workshop. And basically, the goal or the mission of this collective was to create work that uh, was about the wor- the border. Was you know, kind of like denouncing the divisions that the board the, the the creation of the US US Mexico border you know uh, sort of um, brought about mm-hmm. and um and so uh and so this group was a really kind of like a trailblazing group because they did work actually on the border itself mm-hmm. like the so the border itself was a site where they did a lot of their there were a lot of more performance artists mm-hmm. multimedia artists there and you know um and um 
and so I came in. I, I I'm good friends with the artist Richard Liu, who's now at the University of Memphis, but who is from the the U.S. Tijuana. Um, I mean the the San Diego Tijuana uh, border region. Mm-hmm. And one of the very very you know I think the uh, important performances that they did was a performance called Border Sutures. Mm-hmm. And this was a, a performance that lasted months or a whole month during the the summer of 19, ooh, I'm going to forget this date, 1990, 1990. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, they traveled the whole length of the border mm. uh, from Texas to San Diego, all of it. Wow. And in each, and they made stops and they had these giant staples. Mm-hmm. And they put them right in the middle of the border. Mm. Um, and those were called border switchers. Mm. And in the process of doing that, they encountered communities who lived along the borders. Uh, they encountered people who were crossing the border. Mm. And the piece was also about, you know, the kinds of con- connections that they, they would forge with, mm. the, you know, uh, with these uh, with these sutures, mm-hmm. uh, and then the, you know the giant staples were like painted and colored, and they, they invited community members, people who lived in the border, to participate. Um, um, and it was a you know and and uh, um, and so the project that I'm working on is an edited anthology where we document border sutures. Mm-hmm. Um, the artists, uh, this group of artists, also had a half actually an incredible photographic collection of mm. their travels. Right. And so basically um, each of us, write, uh, you know, has written a chapter mm-hmm. on that experience. Mm-hmm. And so the artists themselves have written chapters. I wrote the, the introduction. So, um, yeah, so, uh, so we're, you know, looking to finalize that. And, you know, we're kind of like looking for a publisher. And yeah. uh, so, so the, but I think that the, you know this 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 performance piece was done like twenty well, almost twenty nine years ago already. Mm-hmm. It's an old piece, but also for us it was important to do it because uh, we wanted to use our discussions of this piece to really com- reflect on what is going on now, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so how relevant it is and mm-hmm. how important it is that we, you know, uh, continue talking about the this herida abierta, right? That mm-hmm. Gloria Saldua, the famous Chicana mm-hmm. writer, that's how she characterized mm-hmm. the border as a herida, herida abierta or open wound. Mm-hmm. And that this wound has become even more, you know, um, Visible, mm-hmm. I think, with the Trump administration's policies, but also the anti-immigrant rhetoric mm-hmm. and uh, the idea of creating "quote unquote" a beautiful wall mm-hmm. that he's sort of like been talking about, and mm-hmm. uh, and so so part of the anthology is to bring this performance piece, "Border Switchers to the present, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, and so yeah, so that's one of the the current projects that I'm working on, and. Uh, um, and it's been exciting, so we're just hoping that we can, you know, we can find a good publisher that mm, will, I'm sure, I'm you know, sure you will. <laughs> yeah, hopefully, <laughs> you know, who wants to, you know, pu- you know, wants to support us with this anthology. Mm. Isela, is there anything else that you would like to add to our conversation of the work that you're that you're doing, your research, or anything mm. coming up, mm-hmm. and the women in your department, the women's and gender studies? Oh gosh, department. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah. Um, Oh gosh, there's so many things. Um, uh, 
I mean, we're I mean, we're doing really uh, exciting work in WGSS. It's an incredibly nurturing space for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm so you know blessed to be in this department, and uh, um, uh, and so yeah. So I think that I just wanted to sort of put it out there that you know that the you know that um, being in this department, in particular, in the moment that we're living. Mm-hmm. Uh, and having, you know, being blessed to be able to um, articulate um, the importance of gender mm-hmm. through our teaching, through the, uh, you know, the work that we do, through the activism that some of us do, you know, mm-hmm. is, you know, it's so important that we're there, you mm-hmm. know. And so um, I guess, yeah, that's that's one of the things I wanted to underscore. Um, the other um, element that I'm hoping to take into some um, work in the future is um, uh, uh, talking about um, uh, the concept of crafting as opposed to art, you know. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that uh, I did uh, last year is that I invited another artist. His name is Ben Cuevas, who's a queer uh, uh, artist, uh, Latinx artist from uh, you know from the Los Angeles area. And he does this wonderful like sculpt, knitted sculptures and, mm-hmm. and, and and is like very much interested in the idea breaking down the you know, the hierarchies between what is considered fine right. art and right. what is considered craft. And that's also very personal to me because I'm a total crafter, you know, <laughs> and I've just done it kinda like on my own, it's like my own thing. But now I'm like thinking about ways in which I can think about it from a gender perspective uh, and the idea of taking craft into the realm of like artivism, you know, mm-hmm. this term. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah. So, so I'm still figuring out how I'm going to do that, but it's been uh, really exciting for me to go in that direction. And I hope that I, you know, some other things can come out of that That's idea. Great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for this conversation. Well, thank you so much, Elena, for having us and for doing this important podcast. Um, yeah, I'm very grateful for that as well. Thank you. A todos, gracias por escucharnos y recuerden seguirnos en Facebook y de compartir este podcast con otros. Hasta la próxima.